0: Postal Post Publishing, Publishing, the Going Postal Post Cast, and Christopher Chapman present Incarceration. Incarceration, the serialized weekly podcast performed by the author, Christopher Chapman. For more information, visit www.goingpostalpublishing.com or email him at goingpostalpublishing@gmail.com. at gmail.com. This podcast is not suitable for children. It has violence, gore, and lots and lots of naughty words. If you can't handle that, Go somewhere else. And now, on with the story, or whatever other crap I decide to come up with. Chapter 13 Jason had been in handcuffs for long enough. He'd been told that was all precautionary. In the confusion brought on by the death of his parents, he'd believed the cop. How could he have been so stupid? He knew better than to trust the cop. He tried to move his arms out from behind his back, Was restricted by the cuffs. They were far too tight. He'd been feeling tingling in his fingers for more than 15 minutes. It was hard to tell time when he'd been in a room that held only one table and two chairs. He was sitting in one of those chairs, a large mirror lined the wall opposite the door that he'd entered through. He'd heard stories about the police having two way mirrors. A cop would enter the room and try to get a suspect to confess while a group of cops and sometimes a video camera, would be on the other side of the mirror, watching everything. He stared at the mirror, wanting them to know that he knew that they were there. The door opened, causing him to break his stare. He looked at the door as Chief of Police Randy Thompson walked through. He carried a pad of paper and a small tape deck. He placed the tape deck onto the table and sat down opposite him, pressing the red record button as he did. He placed the pad in front of him and started writing with a red pen. "'I thought I was supposed to talk to the other officer about what happened,' Jason said, half-crying. "'Consider this your opportunity,' Randy said, pointing at the tape recorder. "'For the record, my name is Randy Thompson. I'm the chief of police. "'I'm recording this conversation, as well as taking notes with my notepad.' He held up the pad. "'I want you to tell me everything as you remember it one last time. "'I'm going to be honest with you. Things don't look good, Jason.' I have a group of officers working through the night, trying to make sure that those bodies make it to the morgue, where they're going to be more heavily guarded. There was a long pause as Thompson looked at him strangely. Was he waiting for some sort of reaction? He was. What kind of reaction could he possibly be waiting for? Anyways, Thompson continued, I want to make sure that we're telling each other the truth here, not leaving anything behind. Can we agree on that? jason nodded good now why don't you go ahead and tell me everything for the third time that night jason told officer thompson everything that had happened from seeing the man in the hall to seeing him again right outside the cruiser he said everything in as much detail as he could he saw a surprise expression on thompson's face when he went into detail about how the blood felt when it hit him even mentioning his surprise when he realized what it was When it was all over, Thompson's expression returned to the way it had been before he'd started. Thompson didn't believe him. Thank you, Mr. Rangel, Thompson said, looking smug. I'm sure that will prove very useful. Now, I have to ask you about those scissors. What about them? You say you used them to stab the killer in the chest, then pushed him down the stairs. Is that correct? Yes, Jason answered, not liking where this was headed. I personally checked both areas when I entered the house. Thompson paused, as if he was choosing his words carefully. There was no body. I told you, he got up. Oh, that's right. He was sitting outside my police cruiser, trying to kill you while you hid in my car. Jason didn't answer. I'm trying to make heads or tails of this, Jason. I'm having a difficult time believing in the existence of this killer. There has, so far, been absolutely no evidence to confirm that this person even exists. Thompson started flipping through his notepad. Jason saw that there had been some notes that had been written in there before he'd entered the room. He was reading them now. I got off the phone with your principal, Thompson continued. A Mr. Griffin. What? I consider it my duty to do background checks on my witnesses, as well as my suspect's. Somebody needed to tell him that you wouldn't be going to school in the morning. After all, your parents just died. In your position, I imagine you won't be going to school for quite a while. Jason stared at him. Oh, and while I was on the phone with him, he filled me in on some other things. Imagine that. Let me say that it was very eye-opening. Jason hadn't initially known where he was going with this, but now he understood completely. Thompson had done some poking and talked to a man that wasn't exactly going to become a member of his fan club anytime soon. This was getting bad in a hurry. He told me that there was an incident at school today. He told me that you got into a fight with Nathan Paulson, and the fight ended with you sending him to the hospital. I'm guessing that's why your hands look as if they've been through a meat grinder. He paused for dramatic effect. Jason hated him for it. Now that I think about it, I think I may have seen him at the hospital while I was there this afternoon. You did quite a number on him. Another pause. Mr. Griffin went on to say that you had a heated argument with him after he mentioned something about your temper. He says that you became hostile and harassed him about one of his problems. He's an alcoholic, Jason said through gritted teeth. He knew what this guy was trying to do. He'd gotten wind that he had a bad temper and was now trying to add fuel to the fire to see if he could get those flames going and get them burning bright. The problem was that it was working. He could feel his anger returning. I'm not really sure how that's relevant, Thompson said, looking Jason straight in the eyes. I'm not questioning him about his flaws. I'm questioning you. As I said, I do my research before I talk to my suspects. Suspects. I'm officially a suspect, Jason thought. The words rattled around in his mind, seeking revenge. This poor excuse for a cop thought he'd killed his parents. How in the hell could he be so stupid? Didn't he see all that blood? Didn't he look at the spot on the ground? There had to be footprints. Hadn't he looked at his window? There was bound to be a large scratch etched into the glass. He'd seen it. Two of my officers canvassed the neighborhood, talking to various neighbors, Thompson continued. We did the same thing yesterday. Turns out you were at school at the time. Anyway, tonight one of your neighbors stated that she heard a heated argument between you and your father. She said something along the lines that you actually wished your parents dead. I did not, Jason shouted, realizing the play on his words. He'd said some stupid things, but never wished his parents dead. He could feel the blood rushing to his face as anger gripped him tight. He wanted to hurt this man. If only there weren't any handcuffs on him, then he'd have a fair fight. Jason didn't come until he realized that he had just played into the cop's hands. The cop was right about doing his homework. He'd learned exactly how to push each and every one of his buttons and get the reactions he needed out of him. He knew how it was supposed to work and used it to his advantage. Jason saw the expression on Thompson's face. He was startled. Jason looked around. He hadn't realized that he was now standing. He had been so upset that he had stood up and hadn't noticed. Could you please sit down, Mr. Wrangle? Thompson said. I'd like to get through this interview with no more outbursts. Believe it or not, I'm just trying to get to the bottom of this. I want to find out who killed your parents as much as you do. Jason stared at Thompson without saying anything. Did this guy, the chief of police actually believe that he could lie right to his face and he wouldn't notice? He was blatantly trying to get him to admit to a murder that he didn't commit, then acted as if he were a long-lost friend. This cop truly was the master of head games. Enough was enough. Jason knew that he had to call the officer out on his actions, or he would continue playing his games. There wouldn't be any more manipulation from him or anybody else. Jason needed to regain some of the control he lost the second he turned to the cop for help. I don't think you care about who killed my mother or father, Jason told Thompson. He was aware of the anger and hatred in his voice. He struggled to keep his voice calm. I haven't figured out what your angle is, but I know that you want me to admit to something I didn't do. This entire show is a bunch of bullshit. You're so blinded by your ambition to arrest someone that you aren't doing your job. I will say this one last time to make sure you're paying attention. I did not kill my parents! He finally sat back down, knowing that he'd accomplished his goal. He looked across the table and saw that he had rattled Thompson. His eyes shifted back and forth as he tried to think of a response. Jason waited, knowing that he would be able to handle whatever he dished out. He regained control by getting under the officer's skin. Thompson opened his mouth to speak, but quickly closed it again. He looked as if he were struggling for his words. His mouth opened, and this time he was able to speak. "'You can play this game all you want,' Thompson said. "'Unfortunately, I don't have the time to deal with this. "'I'm going to lay it all out on the table for you. "'We know that you have a temper, and that you fought with Nathan Paulson, "'argued with Terry Griffin, and then your parents.' "'This all happened in a twelve-hour span before your parents were murdered. "'The night before, the Normans are murdered less than a block from your house. "'It just so happens that their house looks exactly the same as yours on the inside.' "'He paused, taking in a deep breath. "'He leaned in close to look Jason in the eyes. "'I spotted you covered in blood, "'carrying a pair of scissors that may or may not be the weapon that killed all five people. "'We'll find that out soon enough.' "'You blame all of this on some man with large teeth that left no evidence behind. "'What do you expect me to believe?' "'Jason had nothing to say. "'He wasn't really surprised by anything that Thompson said, with the exception of one thing. "'He hadn't known that the Normans' house was like his. "'He'd known the Normans for years. "'He'd been casual friends with Jesse, but had never once been in their house. "'Nor had Jesse been over to his. "'Sure, the houses looked very similar on the outside,' with the exception of the paint jobs, but that didn't necessarily mean that they were also the same on the inside. How was he supposed to know that? They were both built years before he was born. It wasn't as if everything else didn't already paint a big bullseye on his chest. Now they had one more thing to pin on him. He was royally screwed, and he knew it. There was no other choice for him. He had to start protecting himself from the police, "'as well as his inexperience with the law. "'I don't think I should say anything else "'until I speak to a lawyer,' Jason said, "'feeling as if he'd already lost. "'He'd really hoped that it wouldn't come to this.' "'If that's the way you want it,' Thompson said, standing up. "'He walked around the table until he was next to Jason. "'He bent over and moved in close enough "'for Jason to smell that Thompson hadn't brushed his teeth in a while. "'His breath smelled bad.' "'like old cigarettes. "'If that's how you want it, fine,' Thompson said, "'spittle flying from his lips onto the side of Jason's face. "'For now, I'm holding you for the murders of Mary and Gary Rangel "'and the entire Norman family. "'You've already been given your Miranda rights, "'so let's get this show on the road.' Thompson looked at the mirror on the wall, made a motion to come in with his hands, then waited. The door opened, revealing two officers— They entered the room, heading straight to Jason. He tried standing, but felt the pressure on his shoulders. Thompson had a hand on each shoulder, holding him where he was. This goes a hell of a lot easier if you cooperate, Thompson said. Let's not add resisting an officer to your laundry list of problems. You're in enough hot water as it is. Still, Jason tried to resist. He didn't want to be here. He wanted to be somewhere, anywhere but found himself being held against his will by an officer who was blind to the truth. Why couldn't he see that there was something wrong with this picture? The two officers grabbed him and pulled him from the room. Jason was surprised by how strong they were. They moved him like he didn't weigh more than a sack of potatoes, carrying him if they had to. Eventually, Jason stopped resisting. He realized that this was going to happen whether he wanted it to or not, and he didn't like it. He was brought to processing, where they took his fingerprints in mugshot. Despite his innocence, he felt like a criminal as he stood before the camera, holding a sign with his name on it. They asked him to turn sideways, took even more photos, and even took several close-up photos of his injured hands. Next, they brought him to a small room where the handcuffs were released. He was handed a small sack of clothes and told to change. He looked down at the clothes in his hand. The ensemble consisted of an orange shirt... "'orange pants, and slippers. "'Jason looked at the officers. "'He didn't want to do this. "'He could see on their faces that they weren't messing around. "'They each had their hands on their clubs. "'He suspected that they would use them if needed. "'Even in his anger and frustration, "'he didn't want to give them a reason. "'He did as he was told, removing his clothes, "'then putting on his new orange jail uniform. "'They then let him out of that room "'and down a corridor lined with metal doors.' There were three total. He was brought to the final one. We usually don't get this much excitement round here, one of the officers said. Other than the occasional drunk, we don't usually get many people in these cells. Lucky you, nobody here tonight. You get the run of the place. How long will I be here, Jason asked. It was the first time he'd spoken since requesting a lawyer. Just tonight, the other officer said. "'You'll be shipped to the Marinette County Jail sometime tomorrow. "'They're better equipped to handle your particular needs.' "'They brought him to the final cell. "'It opened, as if by magic. "'Jason stood outside the cell, looking in. "'The room was as dark as night. "'He froze when the reality struck him "'that this was where they were planning to keep him for the night. "'The darkness seemed to be calling out to him, "'begging him to come inside.' All he could think about was how the killer had murdered his parents, spraying his father's blood on him, and he hadn't even known it. Anything could happen in the dark. He, the creature who had killed his parents, could even be in there with him, and he wouldn't know. He looked down at his arms. Most of the blood was still there. They had tried cleaning him shortly after he arrived, but stopped trying after a while. An officer pushed at his back, forcing him inside. Jason resisted, refusing to go in. Fear swelled up inside him. He didn't want any part of this darkness. Something could be in here. He could be in here. He would try killing him the same way he killed his parents. No, Jason said, panicking. Not in the dark. Please, anything but that. He's in here. He's in here. His final words had grown to nearly a full scream. He was as frightened as he had been when he was fleeing for his life from the man-beast "'that killed his parents. "'The resistance was useless "'as he found himself in the center of the dark room, "'the only light coming from the doorway "'that two officers were scurrying through. "'He ran towards the door, "'trying to get through before it closed. "'He was too slow. "'The door slid shut with surprising quickness. "'He'd nearly made it, "'but likely would have been crushed in the process. "'He found himself all alone in the dark. "'The only light he could make out "'was a single blinking light on the ceiling.' A video camera? Maybe a smoke alarm? All he knew was that he was alone, and that the killer, Beast, could jump out of the darkness at any second. Running on pure fear and instinct, he did the only thing he could think of. He screamed. Chapter 14 Overall, it had been a very good night. Randy Thompson hadn't slept in over 26 hours, yet found that he still had plenty of energy. He thought that things had gone extremely well with the wrangle boy. He did everything but confess to the murders. A little more push and he may get him to do that as well. He decided that it was time to go home and get some sleep. The situation was under control now that he had his suspect behind bars. Now they could take their time examining the two crime scenes, studying every minute detail until they had it right. He was confident that things were going to end the way he needed them to. He pulled his keys from his front pants pocket and walked towards the exit. He paused as he saw Jason Rangel being escorted towards his cell. Guilty bastard is going to get what he deserves, he thought, a smile spreading across his lips. His mind wandered from the suspect to his wife. He wondered how upset she was going to be when he got home. She would have been asleep hours ago, but he seldom snuck into bed without waking her up. She was bound to be angry. He hadn't spoken to her since he took the phone call for the Norman murders. He hadn't spoken to her in almost the same length of time that he'd been awake. She hated it when he did that. More and more lately, she dropped hints about him taking a lighter schedule or possibly even hanging it up and retiring. Why would he do that? He wasn't even 40 yet. He figured on another 10 to 15 years on the force before having to hang it up. Even better... He'd be doing it in Niagara, which would likely return to being quiet now that the killer was behind bars. Being a police officer in Niagara was a career-extending opportunity, and he was grateful for it. He enjoyed what he did. The thought that he had the power to determine someone's guilt or innocence was an amazing feeling. His ability as a crime scene investigator was all the difference in whether somebody walked the streets or was locked behind bars. That's the way it was with Jason It wasn't always skill, no. Luck was also a part of it, and he'd had a lot of luck on his side tonight. He just happened to be in the same neighborhood when Jason went berserk, running his way with all that blood covering him. He chuckled at the thought, but his enjoyment was short-lived. A scream broke out that was so primal that it chilled Randy right down to his core. What in the hell was going on? He scanned the room, but couldn't figure out what was happening. He saw that one of his officers that had been working with Jason was now motioning for him to come his way. The kid was behind this. He walked quickly, wondering what in the hell could cause this kid to freak out the way he was. One second he's fine, and the next he's screaming at the top of his lungs. What's going on? Randy asked as he arrived. Officer Brad Collinback was the officer that had motioned for him. He wasn't speaking now. He motioned for Randy to come with him, which he did without asking any questions. He knew the truth would be revealed soon enough. He was taken to the cell in which Jason Wrangle was spending the night. The scream hadn't stopped, with the exception of him taking an occasional breath. Randy couldn't believe his ears. That cell was made with some of the top materials in noise reduction. It was designed to keep sound out of that room, as well as keeping any noises from within that room from getting out. It obviously wasn't able to stop a young man from screaming himself deaf, as well as the others on the outside. "'Why in the hell is he doing that?' Randy asked Brad, yelling over the screams. "'Did you break his arm or something?' "'No,' Brad said, holding his hands away from him in the not-me posture. "'He didn't want to go in there. "'It took the two of us a great deal of effort to get him in there. "'But we didn't hurt him.' "'As quickly as the screams had started, they stopped. "'The room became silent, with the exception of the slight ringing in Randy's ears.' He became worried that something had happened to his suspect. He motioned for the door to be unlocked. The door sliding open followed an audible click. There, standing on the other side, was Jason Rangel. He looked as if he'd just seen a ghost. His skin had gone pale white, as if he'd been out of the sun for weeks rather than a few hours. Jason raced out of the cell looking relieved. Randy's heart skipped a beat. He believed that Jason was attempting an escape. He grabbed Jason around the neck with his forearm and drug him back into the cell. As soon as they were inside the darkness, Jason thrashed as if he were being tortured. No, no more. I don't want to be in the dark, Jason shouted. There was a panic in his voice. I'll do anything you want, but I don't want to be in the dark anymore. Will you confess to the murders? Randy asked, stopping for a moment. Jason paused as if he were considering it. He looked up at Randy with eyes that were filled with fear. Yet there was something else there as well. What was that? It was anger. It was a look that Randy was becoming all too familiar with. No, Jason said, pulling himself away from Randy and moving deeper into the cell. He sat down on a bed at the back of the room. Anything but that. I'd rather die. Randy backed out of the room and motioned for the door to close. As the large door slid closed, the screaming started again. Who's that all about? Brad asked. I think he's afraid of the dark, Randy said, staring at the cell door. He wasn't sure how right he was, but he had a hunch. The way he looked at the darkness, it could only be that. He turned to Colin back and said, Keep a close eye on him. I don't want him to die of fear or something like that. I need him fit to stand trial for this crime. Colin back nodded several times, seemingly acknowledging everything he said. Randy knew that Brad would do a good job. Now... If only the officers watching the bodies of Jason's parents would do as good of a job. I'm going home, Randy said to the other officers. I want one person keeping an eye on him at all times, as well as one patrol car running through the town all night. The rest of you can catch some shut-eye. I'm going to need all of you in top shape for tomorrow. My guess is it's going to be crazy once the media catches wind that we have more murders, as well as a suspect in custody. Everybody that was listening bobbed his or her heads at his words. Good. Thanks, guys. Good work. Have a good night. He left his officers behind, wanting to get as far away from the screaming as he could. He walked down the stairs, out the rear door, and into the night. He looked for his car, but realized that he had brought his squad car. His car was at home. He walked across the dark parking lot to where his squad car sat. Because this was Niagara, he didn't need to make sure that the car was in a garage to prevent vandalism. After the events of the last two nights, he was reconsidering his options. He approached his car from the rear right. He was parked near a street light, which cast a warm yellow light over the car. There was something funny about the way the light glistened off the rear passenger side window. He normally would have crossed over to the driver's side, but felt the need to investigate the funny way the light reflected off the glass. He stepped closer and knelt down. There, about five inches up from the bottom of the window, was a long scratch, nearly four inches long. What could have caused that? He would glanced at the window earlier and hadn't seen anything. Testing a theory, he moved his head to the right. He was shocked when the scratch seemed to disappear before his eyes. That's why he hadn't seen it before. The scratch could only be seen at the correct angle. His mind filled with Jason Wrangle's words, He'd said something about somebody trying to get in from the outside, scratching at the window with his nails. Could nails have caused this? He didn't think that human, or even most animal nails, could have cut through glass like this. He remembered hearing that a diamond could cut through glass. He couldn't think of anything else offhand. Could Jason have been right about somebody being outside the car? His mind remembered the imprint he'd seen in the soil. The soil had been pressed as if something had grazed it from above. He'd thought that something might have been floating there. Then there was the couple drops of blood. That's impossible, he said to no one in particular. He was alone, or maybe he wasn't. The sudden feeling that he was being watched swept over him. He looked around, seeing nothing, but sensing everything. There was somebody out there, watching his every move, He wanted to get into his squad car as quickly as possible. He wanted to feel safe. He moved around to the driver's side, fumbling for his keys. They fell to the ground, landing with a metallic clink. He bent down quickly, his eyes constantly scanning the scene. His hands groped for the keys, finally grabbing hold. He lifted them, searching the ten different keys for the correct one until he found it. He tossed the door open, slid behind the wheel, then closed the door as quickly as he could. He sat behind the wheel, feeling a sense of relief. Feeling an intense urge, Randy grabbed a pack of cigarettes from the console. He opened the box. Only two cigarettes left. He'd gone through nearly an entire pack in the last 24 hours, and that was only while he'd been driving. He pulled a cigarette from the pack and quickly slid it into his mouth. He lit it and took a deep drag. He hoped that it would calm him. It hadn't. He turned around, looking once again at the rear window. At this angle, the scratch stood out. He saw the way the scratch looked, wondering what Jason was thinking as it happened. He must have been scared out of his mind. He shook his head, knowing that he was being stupid. He was letting the kid's overactive imagination get into his own head. None of that had happened. He was looking for someone or something that didn't exist. There had to be a logical explanation for the glass. He believed that Jason had seen the scratch and made up the entire story. He started the car put it into reverse, and backed up, turning so to point his car towards home. As he placed the car in a drive, his eyes drifted to a set of large bushes on the side of the police station. He looked at them for a few moments, believing that he was looking at the shape of a man, staring at him from within the darkness. Randy's heart beat heavily in his chest as he slammed his foot down on the accelerator and drove away as quickly as he could. He didn't want to know if what he'd seen in the bushes was real or not. listening to the going postal cast for updates about Christopher Chapman, his stories and future podcast happenings. Be sure to go to goingpostalpublishing.com. If you want to follow along on Twitter, twitter.com/goingpostalpub or like him at facebook.com/goingpostalpublishing. This podcast is copyright 2012 Going Postal Publishing.